Welcome to Room for Growth, a Willow Tree podcast about growth marketing hosted by Billy Lowen and me, Billy Fisher. Whether you're an industry expert or just getting started, there's plenty of room to grow. Share this episode with your favorite coworker, follow us wherever you enjoy podcasts, and reach out if you'd like to join the show. You ready, Billy? I'm ready, Billy. Let's go. Let's f***ing grow. Have you panicked lately that your marketing job is going to be archaic very soon? Have you worried that there's a new generation of consumers coming up who have completely different expectations about how brands will reach them and talk to them and engage with them? No? Okay, good. Sit down, buckle up. We're going to start today by just having a small panic attack about the differences between Gen Z versus millennial consumers. But then we're going to have a really robust conversation about how to be successful in forging partnerships and brand unions to have shared outcomes and goals, and just different ways to think about success in both B2B and direct-to-consumer spaces. We are talking to a seasoned veteran today. He has been a marketing leader for decades, frankly, across financial services and various industries. And today we are going to talk to him about his latest venture and we hope you enjoy the show. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have Michael Collins and Michael Collins is the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Learning Acquisition at Pearson Online Learning Services. With a career spanning several decades, he has worked for a variety of public and private companies, including J.P. Morgan, Rockefeller and Company, and Computer Sciences Corporation, now DXC Technology. Before joining Pearson, Michael served as the Managing Director and Chief Marketing Officer for CFA Institute, a leading provider of investment management education and testing across 165 countries. Michael, that's an awesome background. We're excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Room for Growth. Thanks, Billy and Billy. I was thought maybe I have to change my name to Billy. But anyway, yeah, I really appreciate uh, being on today. Awesome. Well, so Michael, you know, that's an awesome background kind of spanning financial services, education. What made you, you know, and uh, to move from kind of one industry to the other and start at Pearson? What's it been like being in a, an education space? Well, it's really fantastic. I mean, prior to this, as you mentioned, I was at CFA Institute, which is a global, uh, does a global CFA certification, the uh, credential for investment and asset managers. And that's very focused on, you know, having people kind of improve their skills and, you know, bring something unique to their jobs. And I mean, this really just takes that in a way for me to the next level, thinking about how we're working with university partners and, you know, and other types of partners to help people realize their full potential. Awesome. It's really gratifying, right? I mean, again, there's nothing wrong about I've worked in financial services where you make money by making more money, right? And so, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, we all like revenue and profits, but uh, it's really special when your product is really, again, helping people realize their full potential, whether it's, you know, as an undergrad, it's a short course, a certificate, or, you know, people are doing a graduate degree program, right? It really helps people, uh, you know, move forward in their life. Michael, what are some of the nuances of marketing in the education space? I'm cognizant just at a high level that you have at least three very different types of stakeholders with different needs. You've got students, you've got teachers, you've got administrators. It can be both a B2B and a direct-to-consumer challenge, and you have to think about how to weigh all of those different brands and values and needs. Talk to us a little bit about what you like as a marketer in this space and what makes it interesting, different, challenging. Yeah, that's a great question. 
yeah, we do have many different constituents that we have to satisfy and, and support and think about, you know, in, in our marketing efforts and kind of what our strategy is. Certainly on the B2B side, right? We support B2B marketing and our B2B business development efforts around the world, right? Going out to sign up either new corporations with employees or customers who can be learners, you know, in the future could be associations. And, you know, but certainly today, the bedrock and legacy that we've, we've built, right, is really the founder of the, of the OPM market per se is with university partners, right? And so certainly, you know, marketing, you know, our successes that we've achieved hand in hand with our other current university partners is key. I think the thing that then brings it all to life is once we have a university partner and we're helping them put their various degree programs online is under their brands, right? Because we're like an ingredient brand. We're the Intel inside kind of idea, right? You don't see Pearson Online Learning Services out there. You You see our university partner brands front and center is representing them. You know, we create demand generation programs. We have people on the phones who, in a way, they're like doing consultative selling, right? I mean, they're not actually selling, but they're helping the prospective learners move through the funnel and the pipeline to get them to apply, you know, be accepted, enroll, start, and then successfully persist through their degree program, right? Because we're all about, yes, at the end of the day, right, we're trying to make money. University partners, you know, use this tuition, to fund faculty and maybe it could be new buildings or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever they're doing. But at the end of the day, I mean, our goal hand to get hand in hand with our partners is to ensure that students graduate, right? And we have a very high, uh, we're proud of a graduation rate for our partners, you know, working with their, with their learners. Yeah. So is Pearson, tell me more, are you exclusively focused on higher education or does it get into high school kind of SAT education as well? Well, you know, Pearson, you know, in a virtual learning division does have a uh, another piece of it that focuses on K through 12. But for online learning services, the division I'm in, it's purely focused on, you know, higher education, universities and colleges. Awesome. And so on our podcast, we talk a ton to marketers about channel marketing. It's kind of something that gets Billy and I going in terms of how to power really effective cross-channel email push in app, you know, whatever the the channel might be in kind of a unified fashion. That's what gets us going. And and we always find a way to get there, even if we're talking to somebody that's not in marketing. But you as owning and being a kind of a lifelong marketing executive at Pearson, what have you seen some of the our most some of the most effective channels and tactics? for reaching both students or maybe there's a different answer for each, possibly the students and educators. It's kind of a, a unique sale compared to a fast casual chain or a, a restaurant or, or real estate. Uh, yeah. It's not a transactional business, right? We're not right. Thank you. We're not, you know, in retail or clothing or restaurants or things like that. Right. We're also not selling technology peripherals. That's something done in my career, right? So we're not selling thumb drives or keyboards and things like that. So this isn't something that people can, uh, students can just come on, you know, on e-commerce and sign up for their four-year degree, right? So there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, work that goes into this. So on the on marketing to the institutions, I mean, that's it's fairly easy to know how to reach them. You know, we also understand which institutions could be good. Universities partners could be potentially good to, you know, they may be you know right. They need to put more of their programs online. Sometimes universities use several. Uh, online program providers like Pulse, like Pearson Online Learning Services, right? So we're one of a few partners that they use, right? And sometimes it's exclusive. So that's more straightforward, right? We we do some advertising on LinkedIn. We, you know, exhibit at the right kind of industry trade shows where 
people representing, you know, universities would be attending, right? So we're kind of in the room. We feel people for speaking engagements. We do thought leadership, et cetera. But where the rubber really hits the road, right? Where we generate our revenue. Of course, we need university partners who want to get the learners first and foremost, but then where the revenue is generated is by helping prospective learners sign up. And so for us, it's a mix and it's nothing that's unique, right? It's or new, right? Certainly paid media, you know, search, display, SEO, different things there are important. We continue to, as I'm sure everyone, you know, uh, does, we continue to try to build up our organic leads, right? Because frankly, not only is that, you know, a more cost-effective way to do it, but we find that uh, leads coming to us, you know, by and large that are organic or driven through SEO are more further along their decision-making process in terms of selecting a university partner, right? And so students are looking at three to four university partners on average, right? There's a lot of choice out there. So those are the kind of the primary things we do. Of course, we do earn media, you know, again, under our university partners brand, which also helps, you know, in terms of our SEO efforts. But those are the main things we're doing to reach students. And I know we'll probably talk about this at some point, but really doing that in a way where we meet prospective learners where they are, right? Because so many people who are taking online courses, uh, online degrees, right? You know, many of them are what we consider non-traditional students, right? Certainly we do a number of undergrad programs. The university partners would be kind of typically get out of high school and you're going to, but you're going to go to school online. Very accessible, right? In terms of being able to kind of attend any school anywhere, to, you know, not just based on where you're geographically located. But so many of the learners are non-traditional learners, right? They already have careers. They may be already working in a certain kind of job and they're looking to upskill. Uh, they're looking to change, you know, kind of paths. Perhaps, you know, they're working, uh, you know, they're there in uh, nursing and they want to do a master's in nursing so where they can actually continue to, you know, advance. And so, again, you have to meet them where they are. I mean, they are searching for things, at nights, on weekends, you know, certain times of the day, because they could be full-time parents as well as full-time workers. So I think that's the thing that we kind of take into consideration as we're building out various marketing strategies, engagement strategies. What do you think are some of the tips or things that you see other brands doing wrong when it comes to increasing organic leads? I think organic leads are sort of the gold standard in terms of acquisition. Everybody wants to have more of that, but so many brands really struggle to generate that type of organic interest. How do you think Pearson's is doing that well? And what mistakes do you see others making? Well, I mean, certainly we're making some of the, we're making some of the same, same mistakes and, you know, we, you know, have a long way to go. Really, at the end of the day, it's really about what is the the quality of the content and the richness of the content that you can be providing that's ungated. And I think that's something, again, we're talking to our university partners about this currently, right? I mean, uh, you know, so many of the things in the past have been put behind sort of a wall, right? So I want to get a program guide. So, of course, what do we want? We want the prospective learner's email address and phone number so we can just start contacting them, contact, contact, contact via phone, text, email, that way, which you would expect, right? We, you know, kind of speed, speed to lead, speed to get to them really does translate into higher conversion, getting people to become qualified opportunities and then to start to consider that university partner in their consideration set who, like, who we represent. So, you know, we're working to ungate some of that content, right? So that, yes, our volume of inquiries or leads will go down in terms of, right? But, but when people want to be contacted, they're actually 
decided they're interested in XYZ University versus we, they get the program guide. They must look through it. They get a call within five minutes or less. We're like, hi, we're with X University. You know, it's really us, but we represent them. They're like, oh yeah, I know I downloaded that, but I'm not really interested. That was something else. It was something different than I thought. So, hey, thanks a lot. Or, wow, I didn't know what the tuition was. That's way more than I can spend. I'm looking at a couple of other colleges and universities where, you know, the tuition's cheaper. Oh, okay. Well, thanks a lot. You know, closed opportunity, closed lead. Wow, that's a lot of people on the phones, right? Making calls that, you know, may not be efficient. So doing more with the richness of content and availability of the content not only helps us on the organic side, right? Where people will find it through SEO and, you know, find that and, and come to us. It also helps us, you know, in terms of when we're running paid advertising and doing things that we're not making outbound calls to people who, frankly, after a glance through whatever they receive, they're not interested. So you guys have balance, right? Because, you know, it makes people nervous when they see the number of inquiries coming in, the number of calls people you reach, right? But at the end of the day, it's also about efficiency and applying our human resources to the most, to the highest opportunities, right? It's always the case, right? We can, we can call a thousand people an hour, but, you know, we'd rather talk to the 200 who are actually more likely to move through. Yeah. So it's a, as you're talking, I'm thinking about kind of some challenges we've seen or uh, some conversations we've been hearing a lot, which is kind of balancing short-term goals and results with kind of long-term brand building, relationship building kind of tactics. And more than ever, I'm hearing about short-term needs because of, you know, economic headwinds and challenges that maybe impact your, I'm not sure if that impacts your industry, but it's impacting a lot. And so in a leadership position, how do you think through that and balance that out in terms of, all right, we need to hit our numbers this quarter, but there's also some long-term kind of relationship building things we need to invest in as well? Oh, sure. I mean, and that's a great question. I mean, I've always said, I probably have borrowed this from some previous, you know, leader who I've worked for, right? Is it's, but it, it kind of, it's an old adage that sort of holds true. It's like build sales overnight and your brands over time. So in the case of our university partners, again, remember, we're doing all of this marketing, advertising, phone follow-up, you know, helping build their, all under their brands, right? So polls is never front and center anywhere, right? It's always your university partner's brand. And I think that's what makes, and I'll answer your question in a second, but I think that's what, another thing that attracted me to this job, besides, you know, I enjoy what I do and it was, I think, an interesting challenge, is that we win when our partners win and vice versa, right? There can't be anything because it's, in most cases, it's a revenue share on tuition, right? So, it's not like, well, we're going to win, but you guys are going to lose money or vice versa. You're not going to make your tuition goals, which your student goals, right? Which brings tuition, which funds faculty, which obviously funds learning, right? And uh, moving people ahead. We both have to win for this to be successful. And that's not always that way, right? In certain businesses, right? It's like working with channel partners, you know, you try to get as high margin as you can, spend as little as you can on mark, you know, MDF and co-op or whatever that is. So uh, I really love that about this job and about polls and about this industry. And then to answer your question about for our, our partners, right? You know, at the end of the day, we measure profitability at the program level, at the degree program level, right? So you could have a suite of business programs, but within there, there's undergrad, there's graduate, there's MBA in this, there's MBA in that, there's a doctorate of whatever. So we measure our marketing spend and effectiveness and our sales effectiveness against individual programs. And of course, it rolls up to the school of business or rolls up to the school of nursing. But at the end of the day, there's individual deans for these various programs. And, you know, they all want to make sure theirs is achieving Not well, you didn't make your goals, but everybody else overachieved. So we do marketing at the program level, at the suite level, and sometimes at the brand level. And what we found is 
well, you don't want to cut all of that off completely, those aren't really that effective, to be honest, right? I mean, you're casting a wide net and you end up getting a lot of people back to the tire kickers kind of coming in, not really understanding, you know, they see XY University, I want to find out more. And it turns out, you know, we're calling them and, you know, we're spending money to try to acquire them. End of the day, they're not really specifically interested in that program, right? So we focus the bulk of what we do at a specific program level. It varies by partner, but with the right level of kind of brand or sweet sweet spin. But, you know, if we keep doing it with the, which we do for our partners, of course, consistent visual identity, verbal identity. I mean, just like any other brand, right? You're going to know when you see something, it belongs to XY school, or in this case, you know, XY, whatever the brand is. Michael, talk to us for a minute about how you start partnerships that end up being really effective versus those that don't. So say you're working with a new university, what are some of the things you do early on to make sure that all of the various people who have to care about this new partnership that you have, they have to adopt a certain amount of like programming and technology together, and then they have to engage with you. How do you promote good partnerships and what are some of the best practices to do that? And then where do you think things go awry that can cause to having partnerships that just aren't as profitable for everyone, aren't as valuable for everyone? Give us some tips. Well, I can tell you, we certainly go through this. Just like the question around organic, right? We have a lot more we can do. I'm sure my colleagues, my colleagues who are on the leadership team and folks who are on my leadership team, my group will watch this pod, you know, listen to this podcast and be like, what's he talking about? Like, we have so much more work to do there. Like, he makes it sound like it's done. So we have a lot to do. You know, look, look, another thing that I love about this business that polls is in is that it's a long sales cycle. I mean, we don't love that, right? We all have shorter sales cycles, but the B2B part of this is a long sales cycle. And, uh, you know, universities by nature, you know, have a lot of process and things to go through, right? In terms of contracting and because it's a big decision, right? If you're going to start to put more degree programs online and, or you want to expand, let's say we're already partners with them. They're already our customer. They want to expand more degree programs. That's a big decision, right? You're putting this in the hands of someone who's going to represent you your trusted learning, your education brand, right? And so I mean, that's a big part of it. So getting into this through the, through a sales cycle, you really get to know all of the key players and constituencies that have a shared agenda and they also have individual agendas. Because I mentioned, right, different, just because you say we're going to do this number of enrollments for the summer term across your 10 degree programs, we're going to overachieve on seven and totally miss it on three. Well, I'm the dean of this school or I'm the head of this program. Like I care about my program, right? I mean, I have faculty. We need to. We need to fill seats. They're making commitments to. They're making the university are making many commitments, right? So again, I'm not saying we're perfect at this. Certainly, if any of our university partners are watching this, they're like, "That's right, you missed it on those two degree programs." <laughs> so you know, but at the end of the day, we're in this together. So yeah. I not saying that's unique to this business, but I, I would say it's something that's really a refreshing and positive, right? You can't, and we don't, can't approach this like, we're going to win, you're going to lose. We're going to get the best price, you know, the best margin, and you're going to give up something. That can't work that way. I think where things go awry, and we have definitely gone awry sometimes, certainly prior, you know, I can see the history before I got here, and even while I've been here, is getting out of balance on what's realistic in terms of of enrollments, right? You need enrollments just because someone enrolls doesn't mean they actually start, right? Because if you start, yes, that's when they're paying the tuition, right? And then we need them to persist, you know, all the way through, not go a semester or two. And, but 
what we find is by and large, and there's always exceptions to the rule, if you make it past your first two to three semesters, you're very high, it's very high likelihood you will get all the way to the end. So how do we work hand in glove with our university partners as a team, right? To make sure that we are attracting the right prospects, prospective learners, so that that we have a high acceptance rate. Because remember, they do all the accepting. We're not the school. They, you know, it's just like if you're coming to brick and mortar, like, you know, on campus, you apply, you wait for your decision. You have to have certain things, your transcripts, certain grades, et cetera. If you're transferring, you certain transfer credits. What? So there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. So we're just doing that. It's like you would at a, you know, on campus with an advisor, right? We're just doing that with online, but we're out, we're under their brand. We're helping people get through it. And then we work hand in glove with in terms of what are our strategies in terms of the way the programs are set up to ensure people actually start and stay. It could be simple things like when do you hold your online orientation? If it's too many weeks from when you've enrolled and accepted, but before you start too close to start, some people drop out then. They're like, oh, you know, it's going to be a lot of work. They change their mind, right? They get nervous. Then, then of course, you spend all this money getting them thousands of dollars and they never start, right? So, I mean, that you don't want that to happen. We have that happen, you know, I'm sure quite a bit. So how can you get more there? And then how do you get them from orientation, you know, all the way to day one and month one and past the drop ad? But it's not getting out of balance or out ahead of each other where the university partner says, like, I'm really going to need last term, you know, a year ago in the summer term, you know, we did, you know, 102 students that took this class. And this year we're going to need that to be 150. And if you get yourself sort of talked into that, all those, you know, if that's not where the market is, you got to look at trends and what's happening out in terms of, is there big growth? Maybe if it's crypto, maybe you're doing that, right? Maybe if it's a crypto certificate or, or degree, yes, you can get that kind of growth. But the reality is it's going to be 8%. Then if you're trying to shoot higher, maybe you achieve it, but like it's at diminishing returns, right? Each incremental student you're getting is losing money, right? Because you're just trying to like overspend to hit a goal that, and so that's a partnership again, back. I keep saying this word, it's all about, we call them partners. We don't call them customers, even though like, you call them clients or customers, they're partners, right. right? And it has to be done in partnership. So Michael, roughly three years ago, the education space experienced dramatic change as COVID uh, was moving them to remote or online learning. And I'm curious how that impacted I would imagine it impacted Pearson differently than maybe other organizations within the education industry. So curious if you could talk about that, but even more specifically, how did it impact your marketing programs and how you go to market? Well, you know, I wasn't at Pearson, you know, in the online learning service space where I am now, you know, during uh, the pandemic. So I couldn't really say specifically how that impacted. Certainly there was a lot more interest in taking, you know, flocking to an online degree, right? So that was good. I can tell you at CFA Institute, no, that's not what we're talking about today, that gave the CFA exam and, you know, another, you know, three-level exam and other programs. The organization, which has now completed this transformation and they've cleared their backlog, but the organization was just on the cusp of moving from in-person, taking a test for six hours on paper to computer-based testing, right? Where you go to a testing center, and you, know, you have multiple days you could do it. You have multiple times you can do it. Multiple times a year you can do it. They were moving from like twice a year, right? June and December, you'd have several hundred thousand souls around the world would show up in places, you know, 14,000 or something at a location in China, New York at the Javits Center, 8,000 people in one day through the Javits Center with proctors, you know, taking this test. So they're in the process of it. So the organization accelerated moving everything. They already had the plan, accelerated to get online. But I can tell you, it was, you know, had to cancel the June exam in 2020 due to COVID. 
massive cancellations, you know, for the next two years, right? Because, you know, you're at the whim of jurisdictions to decide, like, we're going to lock the city down, or you can't have gatherings more than three people. And well, that's a problem. We're supposed to have, like, you know, 2,000, you know, what are we going to do? So that definitely was a time where, again, the organization's gotten through it. I, you know, keep in touch with the CEO and, you know, and others. And, you know, they've really done a lot of work, you know, while I was there and since I've left on really successfully now delivering their programs, you know, online. But back to what we do, you know, university partners just goes to show, I mean, what what a great thing to be able to have access to education anyway. It's sort of like the social mobility that, that it provides and, you know, ability to learn an institution of your choice from anywhere for saying like, wow, I'm working this job. I would love to go to XYZ place, but I've got a couple of kids and I'm working and I'm going to school and I'm going to have to just choose from what's around me very close by to get to that campus. I think this opens up, like I said, a world of possibilities, like, you know, really helps people explore their full potential. So Michael, you don't typically think of the education space as one that's quick to adopt technology, which is maybe a little bit odd, but what has worked for students and what's worked for teachers for years continues to work, continues to translate to online. But I'm curious if you can challenge that paradigm that I have, or maybe that limited belief that I have. How do you think things like artificial intelligence or other emerging tech will impact the education marketing landscape in the coming years? How are you all embracing technology today? What impact do you see it having? I mean, for sure, it's going to have an impact. I'd say, you know, we're at the very beginning. There's the whole online and in the media, right, in various circles, sort of discourse on on the various bots and the various, you know, AI tools are being released and there's been advertising, political advertising on TV where images and everything were all created using, you know, AI. And so I think people are, I think are writing things, you know, using AI, like putting things in and then you get a whole thing. I mean, I think that I wouldn't say that we're that far along in terms of incorporating that into our offering, right. Or how we are doing learning design. But I think take that as an area, one of the services we offer right to uh, universities is in uh, course development and kind of learning design, right? In some cases, we're taking the content that the university has and we're putting it into a format that's digestible online, whether with video and various things. And other times, I mean, we are able to actually using their curriculum and things actually create courses for them, right? They get delivered online. And so I think that's probably an area for sure that we, I mean, I know we are starting to explore but there's a lot more to do on that. Um, and I'm excited from a marketing perspective, you know, how that can help us. I mean, certainly we've been, you know, using chatbots at various places I've been for a while in terms of knowledge management and how we can help with self-service. I think there's a lot more there that we can deploy on behalf of our university partners in terms of self-service and really empowering these prospective learners to decide whether they're interested in that degree program. And if so, would they like to learn more about how that's delivered and, and what that can do for them right in life? And this is really a big lifestyle choice. I mean, it's one of the biggest spending decisions that you're going to make in a lifetime with some of these degree programs, other than maybe a house. It's more expensive than a car, at least the cars most people drive, right? But you could be making a 75, 80, 100,000, 100 plus thousand dollar decision. I mean, it's a big decision. And it's a, it's a time commitment, right? If you're doing a four-year degree or a graduate degree. So I think that's something that, you know, the more that we can do, whether it's using artificial intelligence or as we talked about organic, like, you know, making more rich content available for decision making will make a big difference. That's awesome. One of the things we've been talking about lately, in addition to AI is Gen Z, as change is starting to, you know, we're changing the way that we're 
doing our daily jobs every week and Gen Z is continuing to have more and more buying power. I think I just look to Gen Z's to define as as ages currently ages 11 to 26. So a lot of like a lot of these generation models, it's fairly broad. So on the top end, 26, those are definitely your target market for sure. And I'm just curious if you've noticed any challenges or opportunities in terms of this future generation of learners and some of the changes that we maybe need to think through or some of the ones that were already in process as, as those folks start to enter your market. Wow. I mean, you're you're absolutely right in terms of how you think about Gen Z, really anyone, but I mean, specifically Gen Z, right? I mean, between 11 and 26, you know, that's what we're using today for the definition. I mean, it's just totally different, right? I mean, they're not using, they're not an email and they're not necessarily responding to phone calls. I mean, they want to do stuff online. They're using different platforms, right? So I think the more we can do, and we have certainly role I have and where we are with inside of uh, Pearson Online Learning Services, we have a lot to do on this, but it's, to me, at the end of the day, it's around meeting them where they're at and engaging with them in a way they want to be engaged with, right? And so that may sound super simple, like, well, don't you want to do that with all of your target audiences? And the answer is yes, but the traditional tactics and tools of email and, and other things, you know, come to our website and come download a PDF and come do this. That's not how people want to consume things, right? I mean, we need to do more. And again, I, my staff or our university partners listen to them like, yeah, when are you going to do that more, right? I mean, we need, <laughs> we need to do even more in not just running advertising on Instagram or any of the meta platforms or on Google, on Pinterest, et cetera, right? Where, so we're trying to go where they spend time, where they hang out. And it varies by degree. It varies by age, of course, right? You all know that. But it's then continuing the dialogue and the engagement with, with them versus you saw an ad on Instagram. You clicked it. You want to learn more. You typed a couple of things in. It's already saved in your phone. Here's my name. Here's my phone number. Here's my address. Click, 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 right? Ring, ring, ring. Here we are. Call, call, call. Email, email. They're like, I don't want that. I want it. Can you engage with me in my DMs? Can you engage with me on an ongoing basis inside the platform I'm already using? Why do I have to come use what you want to use, right? Mm -hmm. We saw the CFA Institute in China with WhatsApp and Weibo, right? They're not opening emails. In fact, a lot of them can't even get through in terms of firewalls and other things. So, you know, we, the team built, you know, complete engagement strategy on not just reaching you the first time via various media strategies, right? It's engaging with you all the time where you want to be. So I think that's ultra important with Gen Z and those coming up behind them. It's really important everywhere, right? I just think sometimes you can have that idea, but you're using some of the old tried and true, and maybe they're tired sometimes approaches. How was, how was the deliverability of the email? <laughs> what kind of click through do we get? Do we get anybody that opened it? Yeah, okay. I mean, like, obviously we still do that. We do that too. Yeah. Because some people, that's the way they want to communicate it with. We need to do more <laughs> enabling ongoing engagement and communication through platforms. And again, we got a long way to go. So I'm not talking about something that we're doing like everywhere, but I think that's a huge potential that we have to go out and take advantage of. Michael, if you wanted to just scare the heck out of me 
about making sure that my <laughs> entire life's career is not based in email and push and all these traditional channels. I'm going to be a TikTok expert now and get really comfortable with all the DM platforms. I think that was great advice. Yeah. And slightly advice, terrifying yeah. for those of us who like there's whole industries built on these channels that are going to become archaic in our millennial lifetime. And so figuring out how we adapt and understand like the principles of storytelling, the principles of reaching an end consumer through really organic means and in ways that doesn't feel spammy. Like that's such a great takeaway. So thank you for that. It's got to feel personal, right? You mentioned storytelling, right? That is so important because brands are on TikTok. I mean, I don't, I'm not doing TikToks, but brands are on TikTok and you, if you're scrolling through, I mean, my feed, right, is filled with comedy and, you know, other stuff that I enjoy, right? Obviously it learns what you're looking for, but occasionally like stuff pops in and I'm like, why am I seeing this? This this is very <laughs> contrived, right? It's very forced versus the stuff that people really try to understand the motivations of their target audience, right? So when this is served up, it feels authentic, right? I know we always use that word, authentic storytelling, right? But it must be authentic. But it's so true, right? I mean, if it's a little trite, it's so true. You have to be authentic to your brand, but also to the audience you're trying to reach versus just trying to repurpose your same old message and deliver in a different way. Sometimes it just falls flat versus thinking like, you know, what would be creative? And that takes investment and extra work versus like, well, you know, we did this, so let's just chop it up into shorter atomized pieces and run this little video. I mean, like, it's like, that's the same thing you used to just show me in a display ad or a video ad online. Like, yeah. what are you doing? Like, it's boring. Next, next, right? Yeah. So I think, um, again, easier said than easier said than done. But I think that's, again, a real opportunity for us going forward. And then again, it's got to be appropriate, right? So you remember, we were working with a number of, of very storied brands in the university space. And so, oh, let's be edgy. Well, maybe they're not an edgy university brand, right? And so I think you have to be respectful of that and figure out which of these platforms will work, but understanding and helping whether it's universities or people are watching this and they're listening to this, they're in uh, large corporates or you know, mid-sized business trying to reach Gen Z or reach other consumers. It's got to be authentic to your brand and in a way you know that, that makes sense. Totally. Not like goofy for the sake of being funny, right? Yeah. Michael, I have one last question, Billy. I'm curious if you have a closer as well, but we always like to talk to our guests about what they think drives genuine long-term engagement and loyalty with a brand. That's really what we're all trying to unlock as marketers, right? Is just this notion that you are top of mind to a consumer. They love the experience. They continue to come back to it. So Michael, I'm curious which brands you are genuinely loyal to and why? That's a good question. And off the top of my head, I would say I'm certainly loyal to Apple in terms of just uh, how they think about knitting together their ecosystem of not only apps and the software, but the hardware. It's just really seamless. So uh, I would say that's one from you know automotive like BMW. I mean, that's just uh, happens to be a favorite of mine, but I like the way that that brand really kind of speaks to kind of your whole life cycle, right? I mean, as they've filled out their range over the years, right? They started, you know, they had a handful of ranges and now series one all the way up to, you know, others and electric and how they think about you really as you grow, whether you grow your family and you need more cargo and carry room or in terms of your uh, income where you can afford, you know, something flashy or nicer. I mean, they really have a full range and I think do a good job of kind of speaking to in their marketing kind of to you personally. Right. And so uh, those would be two that would come to mind just off the top of my head. But I would say, you know, what is the thing that really 
get somebody to bond with your brand. And again, I don't want to sound trite, but it's all about trust. When I've been in some consumer product companies where we sold through retail, could be through Amazon today, you know, online, but through, you know, retail, we talked about, you know, where they want to drive traffic, trial, transactions, and trust, right? You got to drive traffic to the shelf, or in this case, traffic to a website. Then you want to, you know, want to incent trial. How people are going to try whatever you have, right? So in education, that could be, well, I'm not really ready for a four-year degree, but I think I'd like to register for the certificate program or the short course that's a lower price of entry. And it could be stacked, stackables, right? You can do this one and this one and this one. And there's a clear path. Well, if you do those, you know, you won't have to do these. You decided to do a four-year degree, for example, you won't have to take these first prerequisites because you've already done it. Or if that's all you need to move on to the next stage of your career, the next goal in your life's aspiration, good for you, right? So trial and then transactions, right? You want them to come back, right? Either persist, right? Semester after semester, after term, after term, or, hey, you took this one uh, certificate program, now you're going to take another one, now you're going to take another one, now you're going to take another one. And then trust. At the end of the day, it's that experience you're having through that process with the brand, in this case, with the university partners, where you trust them. And that is, I think, is the secret ingredient with our enrollment advisors. These are the people who are on the phone who make those calls, right? As soon as you say, I'd like more information on behalf of XY University. And they're there to help you through one of your life's biggest decisions and a big investment of your money and time on making it through that process. And they're with you every step of the way. And they're literally building a relationship to where the point where you start your journey or you start your classes and then you get handed over to someone who's your ongoing advisor. We call them coaches. It takes you all the way through graduation. And sometimes they don't want to let go of their the enrollment advisor, the ones advising <laughs> on getting enrolled, because they built this relationship. They know, hey, I know we talked last week. And by the way, how was that birthday party for your three-year-old? Or, you know, we talked last week. Did you end up get that new car you were talking about? Or, you know, we, we had to reschedule that call because your car broke down. Hey, how did that turn out for you? I mean, those are probably not amazing examples. Our enrollment advisors that have hundreds that are way better. But I mean, you're developing a relationship. And where our enrollment advisors are able to do that, they're the ones who are hugely successful, right? They don't get commissioned, right? Because we don't, there's rules and stuff. You don't want to unduly influence somebody to take a class and not really prepared for whatever. So, but I mean, they're the ones who care, right? And people feel that caring and that builds that trust on behalf of the university brand to where when and we're online, right? So you're not, you know, we're online. So we're not usually going in person places. But they get to commencement, and we're going through this kind of period of the year now, where people that are online do show up sometimes. You know, they do have like a in person thing. You know, you could also just do it online. They're asking for some of our coaches to come, right? Like, wow. I want to meet Billy and Billy, right? Can Billy and Billy come? <laughs> now we can't send our coaches out all over the place, right? And last, That's but awesome. we'll send a couple, right? And then they can host like a virtual meet and greet for an hour, wherever they're there, and you know, meet all the other people that their coaches aren't there. Because obviously the coach has got to be there working with other students. But again, it's all about trust and that relationship. And again, I think most marketers would be like, yeah, it's about trust and personalization and feeling special. But it is. And when you can do that, right, in your whole kind of marketing approach, it's not just in your advertising or in your other uh, ways you're reaching people, but it's in your ongoing in interaction. And I think that is definitely something that we're getting right inside of Pearson Online Learning Services for sure, is that team of people who, you know, every day are on phones and video calls and Zooms with prospective learners or learners who are already learning, moving through their process, right? To again, I know I keep saying it, but it's really what it is to really realize their their life's full potential. Yeah. And what's awesome about that, Michael, I appreciate you sharing. Like, yeah, you could say, of course, authenticity and uh, relationships. But those are the things that as marketers, whether you're a, a retail marketer, a B2B marketer in education, 
once you get caught up in the whirlwind, it's so easy to get focused on. We got to hit these Q1 numbers. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And kind of forget some of those core foundational elements. So it's a great reminder for me. And uh, I'm sure for somebody listening, that's uh, probably caught up in that whirlwind to like, hey, sometimes you got to remind yourself of the basics and fundamentals and, uh, and anchor yourself there. So I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate you uh, giving us your time. And we look forward to, to seeing what you continue to do with the team at Pearson. Fantastic. Hey, thanks again for having me. I had a lot of fun. It's always fun to talk about stuff that uh, you enjoy doing. So thanks very much. Awesome. Thanks, Michael. Michael.